This is Alan Arnold. You're listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. This is part two of a two-part series where Dan Allender joins Sam Eldridge and Blaine Eldridge on an Ann Sons podcast conversation about trauma. So Blaine and Sam, thanks for being here this week again. And just tell us a little bit about what we're going to listen today as we re-enter the conversation. So the first part totally blew my mind. In the second half of the conversation, we shifted a little more towards the reality that trauma is not a couple days. There is a crisis you need to respond to, but then there's going to be a fallout over weeks and even months. And so we were able to turn to and go like, Dan, we've talked about how to get into the conversation. When do you leave? There's never a good moment to say, I'm sorry you just lost your parents, but I got to get out of here. And he sort of frames how to make that decision as well as, What does it look like to care for a person who is in loss over a period of months? Last week, Dan got to kind of talk about when it's go time, when you enter the room, what are some things you can do? Just go. Don't ask them questions. Be there. Tell them what you think they need. I loved when in the first one where he said, when people are in trauma, one of the worst things you can do is try to have them make a decision about what they need. Right. It feels so natural to ask, do you want me to come over there? Right. But instead to say, I'm coming over. Let them say no. Let them establish what they need if what you're offering is too much. But err on the side of moving towards them. That's huge. It was was so huge for us. So if you guys haven't heard part one, I would definitely recommend starting there. You'd be jumping into the middle of a conversation with half the puzzle pieces missing. So start there if you haven't. And if you have... Then we're going to re-enter into the conversation now with part two of how to respond to trauma. I'm struck by Blaine and what you were sharing and the story with mom and dad and and Dan, particularly this piece earlier that you were talking about, the effects of trauma, that division in so many different ways, that isolation, that divide in your body and then potentially divided from others within your family. And certainly I have felt that gap, that division between me and the person making the phone call. Like I feel the, yep. the pull to like withdraw and not move towards them because they feel very far away. And part of that almost feels like in Blaine's story that the minimizing of, well, I'm not that much to this person. They really need someone closer. And there's almost like in that moment, that's an out. Like I can feel the the minimizing of anything I could possibly do, but also this door that presents itself of like, well, good luck, and I'm sorry, I wish I was the person you needed. And I want to go, dick, 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 like, they're calling you, or or you've you've been informed yes. somehow. And so there yeah. is, I almost want like a three by five card, or probably more like a hundred of them to go, like, this is the trauma response card. Look at this when something has happened or when you're responding to something. And the first part is like this, isolation, division, move towards, move towards, move towards, however you can. And I feel like that isolated division piece feels so huge because I'm not a counselor. I'm not someone who knows and is prepared for every potential source of pain that someone could experience in life. And so therefore, I feel like I could be so ill-equipped to move towards people. You're like, oh gosh, if only someone who really knew how to handle grief and families and father figures were here to handle this one. And yet it's got to be somebody and there's got to be something that holds true for what you can bring. And so there's just something about that that I'm encouraged by in this moment to like name some of the real issues being this isolation piece. 
to me, I don't understand because my voice, singing voice is so cacophonous, just absolutely an assault to the human soul to hear. I won't, I won't prove it. Uh, I won't prove it. But I've always wondered why people enjoy being part of a choir. Hmm. You know, if there are 50 voices, 100 voices, nobody can hear your voice. It's all blended in. Yet, obviously, for a person who has a lovely voice, being part of creating beauty is such a joy. So I don't care whether or not you're one of 50 who's making the phone call, one of 100 who are making the phone call. You're part of a choir. And even if your voice is not that, you're not going to sing a solo. Fine. Bring your voice. So I think the harder tragedy is where you hear someone has suffered. And maybe you're close, but not that close. You're not family. You're not dear, dear friends. What do you do? And that's, again, an important category to go, no, you're part of the choir. And so if you've got their number in your phone, I don't have that many phone numbers because the phone numbers I keep are the phone numbers that mean something to me. Uh, and so if you're on my phone, you're going to get a call if I know that something's gone on in your life. Or at least I'm going to engage with your world in a way in which I want to eventually speak. I wondered, my father was one of the first major persons in my life who died. And I could not believe how important it was to get notes from people what I thought to be an utterly useless phenomena, probably generated by Hallmark, was the notion of a sympathy card. They were important to the nth degree to have somebody put in writing even a sentence like, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, I know you're going through hard days. I would hold those cards and sometimes simply filter through them a second and third time because I needed that sense of a choir singing with me my own lament. So you always have a place in tragedy. But once you begin to answer that first question, who is the person? Second question, who am I in their life? Third, what does Jesus want me to bring in this moment? Those questions bring you again to some action that communicates to that person I am for you, and I am with you. Those are two separate realities. Yeah, it's just so helpful. I think one thing that stands out to me is that uh, I'm really encouraged by the reality of you will not know what to do. It will not feel like there is a clear course of action, but it is actually the choice to step in and to make a move towards that opens up the opportunity for the beginning of the restoration, which is unique to the presence of Jesus. I want to, in a specific sense, love to hear, let's say the scenario is, because one, where I begin to experience, oh, here's the rubber meeting the road, and have had other friends ask about this particular kind of moment, and you've made the call, or you've shot the text message, you've learned about a tragedy, you've learned about a trauma, and you have made a move towards a friend, a person, but now you have arrived, and you are sharing a room together, you're sit or you're, you know, you're sitting over a table. Are there things that a person can bear in mind with kinds of questions that are and are not helpful, or just to give a specific example, Sam mentioned this caller earlier, but, you know, friend in another state experiencing a crisis, a mutual friend was in his car on his way to go be with this person, and he calls me to kind of go, 
hey, listen, I've talked to him. I'm on my way. What do I say? What do I do when we're, when I'm actually in the room? Like, we're going to spend most of the night together. Is there anything that I need to know? I think that to some extent, everyone has experienced some variation of that question of, oh my gosh, now I'm here. Are there guiding principles for how to have this conversation? Yeah, the people that are going to go, Jesus, what do I do? (laughs) Okay, next. Dan, what do I do? (laughs) Since Jesus seems to be on a busy call, uh, you know, let's just start with the obvious thing. Your freaking face matters way more than you have any idea. And so if you don't be yourself, so if you're if you're really just a funny person, then you really do need to bring your humor into it. If you tend to be a very thoughtful, quiet person, then bring your thoughtful quiet. You don't have to become someone other than you are because at that moment, the other person knows you're, you know, you're playing a role. You're playing a kind of act. So you got to bring your face. Bring who you are. Now, you don't want to crack a joke, you know, in the middle of a tragedy, but there will be a place for laughter. Don't be unwilling to offer laughter. A lot of, a lot of tragedies bear a lot of absurdity. And sometimes just naming the absolute darkness and absurdity that you're in the middle of is relieving. So start with that. Bring who you are. You're a mess. You don't know what to do, but you bring something of the goodness of God into the middle of it. So give up the role, give up the burden, give up the pressure, and be who you are. Now, second, be sensitive to the moment itself. Because if that person literally can't think I mean, when I'm in the middle of significant, overwhelming heartache, I'm in the middle of trauma. And one of the things that happens with trauma is your brain goes offline. So there are times where I need somebody to say, look, can I make three or four recommendations? One, let me drive. Two, let me hear what you're thinking so that I can, in many ways, bring a little bit more thought to the process. In other words, loan your strengths to the person without it, again, being insistent or demanding. But you need to help contain some of the trauma that they're in by being willing to care for that person in providing, again, whatever they particularly need. There were seasons where with Becky at one point in her life, quite ill, I tell the story a number of times of going to a a supermarket where I literally couldn't figure out the list that I knew that I had drawn up. And a person came up to me, put their hand on my shoulder and said, do you need help? That's all I needed was somebody to say, do you need help? And I literally just said to her, my wife is sick. I don't know how to get this list. And she said, let me walk you through with a cart and help you get everything on your list. She could not have been anything other than an angel at that moment. So coming in, sometimes people don't need to feel and cathart and grieve more. They just need containment to be able to make the next hour, two hours. You'll know when they need to grieve because they begin to talk about the loss. 
And that's where you need to have that empathetic presence. I suffer for you, but I also, depending on how you are connected to them, you need to join your own suffering to them as well. On the one hand, I just love the pressure remover of, hey, listen, there aren't actually the three roles of the trauma respondent, and you need to play one of them because that's what will help a person, but go, uh, no, you actually carry some of the image of God. You are unique. Bring that. And I think the other one, as you're just describing, like when a person does begin to talk and when you do have the opportunity as someone who is whose brain is still online to maybe perceive and direct a little bit of the conversation or the action. Like I remember after the loss of Emily's younger brother, when Emma and I were talking, Jesus would actually like, I'd ask what to say and the questions that he would kind of go say this were always so absurd because what they actually did was further expose the pain. Yes. But it it was just like God continuing to lance in Emily, like, you know, Emily's processing like her ambivalence about her pregnancy and she can't figure it out. And Jesus just goes, hey, you need to say with care, but you still need to say Jeremy is never going to come see her. And it like, actually, yes, there was weeping, but it provided access to this place of grief that had just been kind of an ambiguous, I don't know why I feel stuck here. And actually just asking what feels like an asinine question about the grief can be really helpful of, are you hurting because you won't see him? Or in this situation... And especially, you know, when it's someone you know as well as your wife, there suddenly will be the moment of, yep, hear the story and be ready to draw out the story rather than create a salve and actually just be kind of ready almost in those moments, as you're describing, to allow the grief or allow it to expand rather than trying to like run in and put out fires and console What we know about trauma is that it will numb you almost immediately when you experience it. So, you know, you feel great pain, but you're almost in this not quite fully present, aware of the pain, but not wanting to enter the pain and yet also not able to enter the pain. So what you're describing, Blaine, is a gift that we bring, and that is I will actually ask of you to step just one foot closer to the reality of what you're going through. And and in that sense, you're testing the water to see, can you take one step, not into a full-fledged, full recognition of what this loss will mean for you, but at least for the moment, are you aware that your brother will never see his niece on this earth? So as you're naming things that are obviously very painful, you're also assessing, does it seem to help relieve? Does it enter into more pain yet also more relief? And that's the measuring that you're doing with anyone in the middle of trauma is there isn't a plat way of going about it, but you can also measure whether or not you're going too far, whether you, and I will often say to a person, I know that you prefer being in control of what you feel. But what you're feeling right now can't be controlled. Are you ready to just name one more thing about this loss? So you're giving people choice, but you're also setting them in a context to be able to say, is this the direction you want to? And I've had people say to me, I'm not ready to go another foot. That's great. 
then as I see you are ready, you need to name that and I'll also name it with you. It's just the gift of being with them. To know how to enter grief means you don't break and enter. You knock on the door. You wait for them to open. But when they open, you come into what can be engaged at that moment. That's really good. This is part of, I think, some of the trepidation I feel in entering something is also how to leave it well. How do you not try to carry everything or make certain promises or there's this need for containment and to like have it be this this finished thing? Extract feels so messy to me. Right. In America, we allow people six weeks to grieve the death of anyone close to them. That's what research would tell us. So for six weeks, people will be aware and sensitive. You know, if you lost your wife or a child, you've got six weeks to get over it. That's so cruel, it's beyond measure. In many societies, a widow wears black, fully black, for a year as a symbol of her loss. So the fact is, ending is never clean. And I love that question, Sam, because we feel responsible to have a kind of 30-minute conversation that ends with the sitcom making sense. Uh, No, you need to end. And that's where you just look. Often, if I'm visiting somebody who's lost a major person in their life, I'll even announce, look, I'm going to spend 15 minutes with you. If after 15 minutes you want me to stay longer, you need to tell me that. Because I'm going to assume now there's so much going on for you that 15 minutes just to be with you will be a good beginning. So set parameters. Don't just be in a conversation that ends two to three hours later. That's not helpful to the person who's suffering. So give limits and to say, look, we've got an hour. If you need more after that, then we'll renegotiate for what you need. I'm here for you. But for now, When an hour comes, we'll both decide whether or not it's good to continue talking. That allows you a normal out to then be able to say, and I will check with you, say it's the morning, I'll check with you at one o'clock this afternoon to see if you want to have another conversation. Now, again, that's putting it back onto their lap. But on the other hand, it's your saying at one o'clock, you better expect a phone call from me. So it's not just saying, hey, whatever you need, I will be knocking on your door, but don't try to come to some kind of flashy finish that seems to resolve whatever the issue is for now, because it will require continuity over a lengthy period of time. And that's where you've got to go back to that question. Who are you on their behalf? How much time do you have that you can put in honorably on their behalf? And those are hard questions because we're all limited beings. And even with your dearest of dearest friends, you still have a job you have to go back to. You can't give up weeks upon weeks upon weeks to be with them through the full. This is where the real hard reality is. Ultimately, other than you and God, you are alone and I can be with you for seasons, but not through the whole process. Man, that's really helpful. I think even just hearing you name of both an entering and exiting the various engagements of a person's loss, there is just this level of moving towards and leadership necessary so that rather than waiting for it to look like there's a very clear thing to do, 
like, oh, this is the very clear moment to leave. But first, let's sing the doxology. But, <laughs> but to in fact go like, well, I know that I have been in conversation with this person for an hour. I feel that it is now the right time to say, I need to go grab some pizza. Would you like me to drop one by? Then I'm going to go home. I'll come by in the morning. And I know how available I am. I do know what I can do. And even though I would love it to be like, once these three things have happened in the conversation, you can say the magic phrase, and then it really will make sense to leave or to transition into something else. But simply to go, no, that won't happen. But you know you can move towards, and you know that leadership is necessary, and that even in ending a conversation or getting in your car to leave the state again, there is this making the next action on the person's behalf providing context and leadership that will, if you're bearing these other things in mind, be helpful. Oh, yes. I mean, it's the yes of, look, it's messy. The very nature of tragedy, of loss, of trauma is a mess. It breaks all norms and structures. So if you think you can do this elegantly so that it works out, you're a fool. But you're also a coward if you don't walk into it. So the option is be a fool, be a coward. I'd rather be a fool. And so I'm going to walk in. It's a mess. There's no elegance. And that's that's that sense of, look, I will be with you through this process as best as I am called and know that I have a place to be. But in that, I still got to go to work. I still have to brush my teeth. I still got to eat at some point, et cetera, et cetera, which means this seems so cruel. Life goes on. Death is not the final word. Life is the final word. And that's where I need to live on their behalf, how I hope someone lives on my behalf as I'm about to die. And that is, we'll miss you, love you. You've meant a lot, and you're about to enter into eternity. Uh, in many ways, I'm envying you. And in many ways, as I'm dying, I want people to know I'm relieved. I'm sad and I'm relieved. Can you bear with me both? I am so sad to be dying. I'm so relieved. My call on this earth is finished and there's another world for me to enter. So if that sense of, look, don't give death ever the final word. And so your ability to walk into that mess, ultimately knowing life wins, the resurrection wins. And I don't have to be there sort of providing you little spiritual tidbits. But with regard to many of my friends, the question will always come up, would you want me to pray at this point before we depart? And with the son that I was with, as I said, will you let me pray? I began to weep. And the first question I asked Jesus was, will you let me hit this man when I meet him again in eternity? At that moment, I wanted to deck him. I still want to deck him. There will be an embrace, a greeting of one another, but I still want to take him down one time for not having called me before he took his life. So in that framework, I don't know how you pray, but can you pray in anger? Can you pray in tears? Can you pray with the certainty that Jesus really is the presence they need in order to engage whatever they're going through? And it's not that I deposit Jesus. I'm simply announcing in prayer that he is with both of us. He is with us in the midst of this. And if that's the framework, then let me tell you, all the mistakes you make will be forgiven 
because the presence of your goodness and the goodness of Jesus will be sufficient for that gift, for that moment, for them to take the next two or three steps to whatever then is next for them. You've been listening to How to Respond to Trauma with Dan Allender and Sam and Blaine Eldridge from an And Sons podcast. That's not the only topic. In fact, that's one topic of many that you guys address through your podcast and online magazine. So before we sign off, tell people how can they follow you and what can they expect in the the weeks and months to come? You can find us on the Apple store. You can find us on the Ransom Heart app. If you want to follow along, we are diving deep into the consequences and the the if then, if you want to walk this out, this restored masculinity on a day-to-day basis where we're honest, we don't have all of the answers. I don't think anybody does, but there are some things that as fellow students, we have some questions that we want to ask. If you go to ansensmagazine.com, we have a quarterly magazine where we put out long-form issues on everything from adventure to beauty to loving well, maintaining friendships, all inside sort of the canopy of what does it look like to initiate the soul? You can find them wherever you find your podcast by looking up Anson's Magazine. We'll see you here next week on the Ransom Tart Podcast. Thank you.